So check it out, it's like this. I lose, winner takes my car clean and clear. But if I win, I take the cash and I take the respect. <laughs> to some people, that's more important. On November 30th, 2013, Paul Walker, the star of the hugely successful Fast and Furious movies, was chatting with his mother in her kitchen about buying a Christmas tree. His daughter, Meadow, just 15 at the time, was there too. Thanksgiving was just a couple days earlier, and as with every family, the focus quickly shifted to Christmas. All of a sudden, Paul got an urgent text message, read it quickly, and said, Oh gosh, I'm supposed to be somewhere. He leapt up from his seat and dashed out the door. It was the last time his mother, Cheryl, and Meadow would ever see him alive. I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days, Paul Walker. The event that Paul was dashing off to was a toy drive for a disaster relief charity that he had a big part in called Reach Out Worldwide. He had founded it after the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, which really devastated that country. Uh, the charity was raising money for the survivors at the time of Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines, uh, which killed more than 6,000 people and caused a, a ton of damage. And much like Paul's character on the big screen, the 40-year-old Walker was drawn to high-performance racing cars. The event itself was to be held at a high-end car shop in Santa Clarita, California, outside of Los Angeles, which was owned by Walker and a friend of his, 38-year-old Roger Rodas. Around 3.30 in the afternoon, Roger and Paul left the event. They'd gone to the event. They left it in Roger's 2005 Porsche Carrera GT. Now, this is no ordinary sports car. It's not even an ordinary Porsche. Sports Car International named it the number one on the list of the top sports cars of the 2000s and number eight of the top sports cars of all time. It is a car specifically designed for speed, and this is really important in the story of the death of Paul Walker. Is a six-speed manual transmission, over 600 horsepower, 0 to 60 in 2.06 seconds, and it can get up to 112 miles per hour in 7.59 seconds. It has, and I'm way beyond myself talking about cars here, but just a little detail for those of you who know them, it has a pure carbon fiber subframe, which has the effect of keeping the car very light, obviously important to speed. And at speeds over 70 miles an hour, there's an electronically operated rear wing that raises to reduce lift. Yeah, so this is a performance vehicle. You know, he's into racing fast, Roger's into racing fast. So they decide to take the Porsche out for a spin and test it out on a popular drifting curve uh, at an office park in the Valencia neighborhood in Santa Clarita. So, so drifting is one of these things that I had no idea what it was, but I learned about it from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. I think the third Fast and the Furious. The second Fast second and Furious, Furious was Tokyo Drift. Got and it. Drifting is just a racing technique where the driver oversteers the car intentionally, causing the wheels to lose traction with the road. And if you do it correctly, the driver is still maintaining control through the corner uh, and then gets traction again. So it's it's basically a way of taking corners aggressively without pressing on the brake to decelerate. So, so I, I'm teaching my daughter to drive right now. And the whole thing is I want you to speed up going forward, but then slow into the curb curve. That's right. This is a technique to actually accelerate through the curve, maintain speed, go fast. Yeah. You ever seen a car sort of fishtail the back yeah. out like that? If you do that in a controlled way, you're drifting. And right. that's what they wanted to practice because it's a lot of fun. And frankly, it serves a purpose in racing. So you don't have to slow down, but it's also just really cool to see. They built the whole movie, as we said, Tokyo Drift around this technique because visually it's pretty arresting. Also comes with quite a bit of danger. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, it's 
Nothing out of the ordinary for Paul and Roger to sort of try out drifting. You know, they really loved racing cars. Uh, just to say it was a hobby would be sort of an un- understatement, right? They they had a garage full of them at their disposal. Um, it wasn't just like drag racing on the street, though. That's not what they were into. Paul really picked up a love of the sport of professional racing. There's lots of footage of him with a helmet in on racetracks outside of the parameters of the filming where he would just like to take them out for spins and actually learn the craft of auto racing, started hanging out with a lot of professional drivers, uh, even though in his ordinary life, you could see him around town. He was a pretty down-to-earth guy who drove a Toyota Tacoma. Well, he had a young daughter. Had the, a young daughter. Right. And uh, you could spot him around town in these sort of modest truck uh, because that's who he was. He was from California and he was sort of a down, uh, sort of salt of the earth guy, but he loved racing. Yeah, they unfortunately, Paul and Roger never made it to the popular drifting curve where they were headed, but they were going fast. Uh, Roger was driving and Paul was riding in the passenger seat. Both men were wearing seatbelts. A few, few hundred yards from the shop where the charity event had been taking place, Rodas punched the gas and got the Porsche up to around 100 miles an hour just before hitting the cur- hitting a curb. Now, it's important to say there were a lot of forensic analyses uh, of the event, of the crash that were taken in the aftermath of it. We'll talk a little bit about the lawsuits, but the data that we're giving you is not just based on any sort of speculation or what, what people came up with after the fact. This is based on hard evidence that was analyzed by a number of experts. And what they said was that, again, he reached 100 miles an hour just before hitting a curb. A curb, the car careened into a tree and clipped a light post. And the force of these collisions caused the vehicle to spin at 180 degrees. So now it's actually traveling sideways at this point, holding that sideways movement as it continues down this this road, this street, and it comes flush against another tree. And that tree held its ground, caused the car to burst into flames. The, uh, the rate of speed at the moment of impact, remember it hits the light post and the tree, it decelerates a little bit because no lo- gas is no longer being pressed, but it's upwards of 80 miles an hour where it hits this second tree. The car burst into flames. It was so loud and close enough to the charity that those in attendance, including Rodas's young son, heard the explosion, immediately ran over to see what had happened. Rodas's son he's, he's, came out afterwards, didn't realize it was his father and Paul until he saw the car, and it was a unique enough car that he immediately, upon seeing it, knew uh, who it belonged to. Uh, Walker's good friend, Antonio Holmes, said described it as, as this. He said, it was engulfed in flames, the car was. There was nothing. They were trapped. Employees, friends of the shop, we tried. We tried. We went through fire extinguishers, but there was nothing they could do. Due to the intensity of flames, they had no choice but to stand back as Walker and Rodas perished in the fire. By the end, Walker's body was burned so badly, so beyond recognition, he could only be identified by his dental records. Yeah, it was just a remarkable explosion, and you can imagine this scene, Jason, right? Everyone is crowding around it, but they're helpless. They really can't approach the car, because when I say the intensity of this fire was so extreme, it it, it burned Paul beyond recognition. They had to identify him by the dental records, as you said, and there was maybe time to address it. They did try with fire extinguishers, but it was really nothing they could do about it at the time. So according to the coroner's report, Walker's cause of death was, quote, traumatic and thermal injuries, while Rodas's cause of death was traumatic injuries. And now, there's this a is huge important. distinction, right? Two, both of them had traumatic injuries, but Walker, in addition, had, his cause of death was thermal injuries as well. That's exactly right. So what this means in layman's terms is Rodas died nearly instantly from the impact of the collision. When the car, as, as Jason described, hit the tree, careens off the lamppost and hits the other tree, the impact injuries of those 
caused severe blunt head, neck, and chest trauma that basically killed Roger Rodas before the car was engulfed in flames. The same was not true for Paul. Paul suffered fractures in his left jawbone, collarbone, pelvis, ribs, and spine. And these injuries, while significant, did not kill him because there was also found, quote, scant soot in his trachea. What this means was he was breathing at the time the car um, caught fire. In Roger's uh, trachea, no soot was found, so it's believed that he died upon impact rather than from the fire. And we're not giving these details just because they're remarkable, but also because they would play a huge role in the lawsuits that we'll talk about in a minute, the allegations that were made against Porsche in terms of the alleged defects in the car, which we'll talk about. This tragic accident was just the beginning of the story. As with so many sudden deaths, the people who loved Paul and Roger wanted answers. Why did this happen? Both men, very experienced drivers. No drugs or alcohol in their system. No drugs or alcohol in the system. Uh, Neither man was impaired. Broad daylight. There was nothing out out of the ordinary, dangerous about the conditions. Obviously, they were going fast, but these are men who were well trained. Roger Rodas, in particular, who was driving, well trained in how to go fast. So questions start to emerge about the surface, about whether the accident could be attributed to something defective about the car. And that's exactly where things went next. Walker's daughter, Meadow, who had just turned 15 earlier this month, ended up suing uh, suing Porsche in the ensuing months. Obviously, w- w- just a, a little background, when, when a minor, like that, they'll typically be represented, somebody, you know, a guardian ad litem, it's called, will step into the shoes of a parent, whoever it might be, to represent the individual in the case. And that's exactly what happened with her lawsuit against, against Porsche. Her attorney called the Carrera GT a, quote, dangerous car, inherently dangerous, and said it doesn't belong on the street and we shouldn't be without Paul Walker or his friend Roger Rodas. Rodas's widow filed a similar lawsuit against Porsche. Yeah, now it's interesting. So there are different people you could blame. And the thought initially when this accident happened because Paul wasn't in the driver's seat was maybe Roger Rodas is to blame. That's not actually where things went. They were very, very close friends. They enjoyed driving together and racing. So the family in the aftermath really turned their sights on Porsche. And the main argument they were making was that the Carrera GT that they were driving had a history of instability and control issues in the design of the car. Specifically, they were saying there was an electronic stability control system that would have protected against the swerving actions that are inherent in these high performance uh, uh, sort of maneuvers. So remember, he's punching the gas. He is getting the car above a, a, a safe limit for an ordinary car. But the, the idea is that the Carrera GT should be able to handle this kind of speed without losing control if it's designed correctly. Uh, Walker also insisted, you know, Meadow Walker, the daughter, that the car had a defective seatbelt design. And this is key, particularly with the death of her father, because she said that's what kept Paul trapped in the vehicle after it caught fire. Remember, he suffers some traumatic injuries, but he's alive as the car becomes engulfed in flames. And she alleges that the seatbelt snapped Walker's torso back with thousands of pounds of force, breaking his ribs and pelvis, maybe exacerbating some of these impact injuries, trapping him in the car where he remained alive until the vehicle erupted in flames one minute and 20 seconds after the initial impact. So Porsche rejects this out of hand. They say, look, you can look to blame us as much as you want, but there are two factors that killed Paul Walker and Roger Rodas. First, they were going 100 miles an hour at the time of the initial collision. And obviously, well beyond the speed that that the, that anybody should be traveling in the conditions. Yes, these cars can go very fast, but it doesn't mean that they should be they should go that fast depending on the conditions. And in these conditions it was way too fast. 
The other point, it really seems to be the best point, honestly, yeah. is that this this Porsche that they were driving had nine-year-old Michelin tires that were nearly bald. Yeah. And the, you wrote us on this car. He was responsible for the upkeep of this car. He's a car man. He knows what bald tires are like. Tires are not meant to last that long, especially the kinds of doing the kinds of maneuvers that they're that he was using it for. This kind of speed and turning. Tires have a lifespan that had greatly exceeded. Porsche's not says we're not responsible for the tires, and we're not responsible for the fact that these guys were going so fast. This really is a tough argument to overcome, particularly since the car lost control and and turned 180 degrees. That's a loss of traction, and and for them to be able to point to nine year old tires that lost a lot of their tread. This is really going to make it difficult for Meta Walker to win a lawsuit like this. You know, D Derek knows this about me, but uh, I'm a lawyer. And before I before I, my current job, I, I represented a lot of very large corporations. One of many of them were in the automobile industry. And it was inevitably the fact that when when there was a fatal accident, despite the conditions that the or, or the driving, despite what happened, there would be lawsuits filed against the car companies and the car companies have certainly had their problems in the past, but oftentimes they would, the response to the courts would be, look, what do you want us to do? You can't, we don't, we can't manufacture tanks that right. are impervious to any sort of damage, no matter what they hit. We talk about this. You can drive a marshmallow. We'll put a marshmallow out there, but right. no one's going to want to use but it. But no one's going to buy it. Right. Instead, we want to buy cars that go fast, that look good, that have- Good a, sound systems. Good sound systems that that have, you know, four or four windows on each side that have all of these things. Yes, if you if you couldn't see out of your windows or if they were made out of some sort of fiber steel mesh, they would be safer, but nobody wants that. Right. We want a certain- and because we want a certain kind of car that gets a decent gas mileage or, or a million different things that are competing against our desire for pure safety, we know we compromise its safety. Everybody can buy a giant box or a marshmallow to your exaggerated point, but that's not what we want. We right. want cars that are also functional, fashionable, all these things. And when we do that, we compromise some safety. We go into that knowing that. So now this car is a car specifically designed for speed. And we know that when you have a small, light car made of a certain compound, it's going to be less safe than if you were to buy a giant Volvo. That's exactly right. And Porsche was also saying in this lawsuit, sort of screaming from the mountains, when you get into a car and you punch it up to 100 miles an hour, you're assuming some risk yourself. Right. And, and you will always see this in these types of lawsuits is that there is user error that they can't control for with their design. To Jason's point, they're not designing a perfectly safe, soft pillow marshmallow on the road. They're designing a high-performance vehicle, and they expect that the users to use it responsibly. Right. Um, the lawsuit the, settles eventually, right? The lawsuit right? did settle. And they also said, look, the other point to put here is that Roger and Paul were, were car enthusiasts. So Porsche also said this car has been, quote, abused and altered. What that means is when guys get a muscle car or get a high-performance car, they'll tweak it. They, put they it want to make lifts, it even better. They they'll put lifts. Better, right? They'll put neon on it. They'll put things that help the performance. <laughs> right. um, and it's not uncommon Does the to neon make help the tweaks. performance or is no, that in the side? That just makes it super cool. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Put yeah. some spinners on it. You're not getting any faster, but it's very cool. But, you know, it's not uncommon to put a spoiler that's higher than regulation, add things to the vehicle that Porsche is not going to be responsible for ultimately if you've made changes to the car. And that was another thing they brought up in the lawsuit. However, it did ultimately settle. And the reason it settles is you don't really want to have this battle in court if you're Porsche, right? right. Yeah, you want to you want to avoid the stink of this. This is not good for their brand when they're, you know, despite the fact there were plenty of defenses and who knows what, how it would have come out at trial. But you just... The, the, he was the, a beloved figure. Yes. Now, they kept the amount of the settlement confidential, so we really don't know. It may have been a, a small amount of money that they walked away for. We just don't know. 
Uh, the crash site has, site has become a makeshift memorial where fan, fans left tributes for, for years afterwards to the late actor. Uh, and he Walker was ultimately laid to rest uh, at Forest Lawn Memorial Park. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. So the response in the aftermath of Paul Walker's death was was immediate. I mean, this guy was very well loved. Obviously, he was in one of the biggest franchises of, of all time in terms of film films. Uh, fans of the franchise were stunned. Uh, his co-stars were inconsolable and friends rallied to support his grieving fa family, particularly his young daughter, Meadow, who had just turned 15. Uh, but this is common in the immediate aftermath of a celebrity's death. What is fascinating and the most interesting part of Paul Walker's death is how this tragedy has been treated now 10 years hence. We are 10 years removed from Paul Walker's death this will be the 10th anniversary this November, and his co-stars are still grieving the loss of their friend and colleague. And it, that is, to me, what truly speaks volumes about his character. I, I, we'll go through some of the things people have said about him. I, I think one of the reasons that it is so enduring, that his legacy is so enduring, is because the movies have kept his memory alive, right? It is still... It, these the, he they, they wrote him off of the show. They, they killed him off. They wrote him off or he disappeared. In, in the seventh installment, they gave a tribute to him right. where, he, where he's removed from the franchise. Right, exactly. Yes. And so Jordana Brewster, who played, his, her, her, uh, who played his wife in the franchise, is still grappling, coming to terms with his death. She said, quote, I think when someone passes away that there's a huge impact on your life, and he has had a huge impact, frankly, on so many people's lives. She said her grief comes in waves where it's super visceral at times, and it's like it's unimaginable that this person's not with us anymore. It just gets very intense, and then sometimes it's less intense. Uh, Tyrese, obviously, uh, remember, I think most of the movies, I don't know if Tyrese has been in all of them, yeah. said that he still feels the effects of Paul's death, spoke about it during a press tour for the eighth film, the first one released without Paul's participation. When it comes to losing someone that you love, we all get to a space where you're still sad about it, but you've been able to come to terms with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's still not something that any of us understand. Paul was the nicest guy in the world. I've never even heard his voice go above a certain octave, and he's not here. 
And then Vin Diesel, you know, obviously the head of the Fast and Furious franchise, sort of one of the primary owners and uh, of the of the franchise itself, was very succinct in his tribute uh, on the anniversary of his co-star's death, posting a picture of the two men with the caption, Nine years, love you and miss you. Vin Diesel even assumed a sort of paternal role for Meadow and several years after Paul's death, even up, ended up walking Meadow down the aisle. Sort of a sweet thing. Yeah, right? sort of sweet. They've, they've maintained yeah. really close relationships. And if you ever hear Vin Diesel talk about the Fast and the Furious, he always talks about the importance of family. You ever heard him? Yeah, he yeah, says, sure, family, sure, sure. we're a family here. And they lost a member and everyone really rallied behind Meadow and, and Paul's other family. Uh, you know, his family has been very front and center in preserving his legacy and haven't shot and interestingly have not shied away from fast cars and Paul's love of fast cars. You could imagine them wanting to sort of put that in the in the background, but it's impossible with someone like Paul Walker, who was so associated with fast cars from the movie franchise. So what his brother Cody uh, still runs a custom and exotic car show called Fuel Fest and you know, he incidentally bears a striking resemblance to Paul. We've gotten him out at times uh, for TMZ where he's spoken about his brother and his legacy. You know, I, I think, you know, they, Vin and the whole family have done a really good job at tastefully kind of, you know, letting the character ride off into the sunset. And, um, you know, I again, I, I think Paul would really get a kick out of where it's gone. It's gotten so crazy, you know, yeah. it's it's a... It's a it's a wild wild ride at this point. The the most touching tributes you'll see though are are from daughter Meadow, who's now 25 years old. She still posts these loving tributes to her father, where she highlights the warmth of their relationship. She posted a picture of him on the eighth anniversary, where it's 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 a young Paul and she's a toddler, and he's kissing her on the cheek, and she just captioned it, "I love and miss you endlessly." Today and every day, I celebrate your life, your love, and you, my best friend. So it's really impossible to talk about Walker's legacy without talking about his final film performance in the franchise that really did make him a huge star, obviously the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, Walker had been filming Furious 7, but the production immediately halted in the wake of the tragedy. Walker's brother, Cody, who we just heard from, uh, bears a striking resemblance, as you said, and he helped the crew finish shooting the movie as a tribute to his brother. Cody said, quote, my love for cars, my love for travel, it's all from him, and I miss him. I miss him every single day. Yeah, Furious 7, by the way, is yeah. still the highest grossing film in the entire franchise. Now, Fast and Furious 10 is coming out this year, and, you know, each movie makes gobs and gobs of money. We're talking billions of dollars, some of them. But Furious 7, because it came in the aftermath of the tragedy, made the most. It raked in $353 million domestically and $1.51 billion worldwide. It's still on the top 15 movies and, of all time. And that's just box office. It is one of the most watched and re-watched movies on television or on cable and streaming. And it is billions of dollars in, in revenue from, from that movie alone. It's unbelievable. Not to mention the series, the franchise as a whole. Uh, Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa's tribute track, See You Again, became a huge hit, shooting up to number one on the iTunes singles chart within hours of release. Yeah, and, you know, we'd be remiss to not point out um, sort of the last time TMZ saw Paul Walker, what his vibe was like to give you a sense of who Paul Walker was. It's often best to look at TMZ videos because we really catch celebrities when they're in their least guarded moments. They're yeah, not on a red carpet. The it's they're the whole not, concept. Yeah. It's the whole concept and you really get a window into someone's character and it really took on new poignance in the wake of his death because we put up this interaction where you know you can really see who Paul was and why there's been this sort of outpouring of love. He's just talking to an airport employee and one of our cameramen comes up to chat with him about filming the Fast and Furious films and he talks about how he wants to film them until he's old and gray. You gotta take a listen. You're gonna do uh, Fast and Furious 38. 
I mean, there he is. He's cracking a joke about doing the Fast and Furious films until he, Paul Walker, is in a walker. And it's it's tough to listen to now in, li- in light of this, but it shows you that he just had such a, a, a sort of zest for life, you know? Yeah. So Paul had other projects as well. He was working with sh- with the Shark Week folks, Discovery folks, uh, the project called uh, Spawn of Death. Sorry, Spawn of Jaws, The Birth. Uh, it was a project he had premiered in August 2014, nearly a, a year after his death. Um, pretty interesting dude. Yeah, he was really, you know, he he was he was a guy who loved to surf. He was from Southern California and he really loved marine biology. And this guy, Dr. Michael Dormeyer, initially thought, I don't want to work with this actor. He's a serious ecologist. He studies uh, sharks. But when they've talked to him since, he said, you know, Paul came ready to play. He would spend 10 to 12 hours a day with me. He read real passion for spearfishing and surfing. And he is actually talking to him about quitting acting and just going back to school. Well, it begs the question, what would Paul, something we like to ask, what would Paul Walker's life had been like had he not died that day? With a lot of people who are descending down paths of drug use or whatever it might be, the outcome is maybe more predictable with him. It seems like he obviously would have completed the Fast and Furious franchise. He'd have a movie coming out this year, no doubt in my mind. No doubt about it. Fast and Furious 10. Right, and uh, he would also be uh, parlaying that into other projects, as many of the actors uh, from from the franchise have. I mean, you know, Michelle Rodriguez and uh, Vin Diesel does whatever he wants to do. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. Paul Walker was on that trajectory to be as big of a star as Vin Diesel and probably getting action roles or romantic leads or whatever he wanted. Oh, you could easily imagine Paul Walker pivoting to Marvel or, or or, yes. or to the DC universe, he was built like a superhero. He's incredibly good looking with the piercing blue eyes and 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 the sort of physical build that he had. I could easily imagine him being Thor and having a sort of parallel universe where he became this you know new action hero um, in in a different vein. Uh, it, it's you know you know it, it's tempting to think of Walker as just a handsome face with no real depth. And good God, he was handsome. Good God. Uh, he was, one of the best faces imaginable. Yeah, but it, it's really not the case. He was unpretentious, but you know somewhat complicated, uh, exceedingly friendly. Everybody really seemed to like him a lot. But not in like a shallow and meaningless way. He really left an impact on the people that knew him, both his co-stars and his family. Obviously. Yeah, here's what's fascinating because it's it's tempting, as you said, to think of him as just a pretty boy. And, yeah. and 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 you know, when we talk about other celebrities who have passed, James Gandolfini, you hear about their craft, and you hear about sort of other celebrities and the way they're talked about in. It, it sheds some light on their character a bit. But Paul is often thought of, oh, he's the head of the, the, he was the star of the Fast and the Furious, and that's really all he was. But you know, he had a favorite passage from George Bernard Shaw. I mean, you wouldn't think of Paul Walker really being a guy who was really into George Bernard Shaw, but here was the quote. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It is sort of a splendid torch, which I have hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it over to future generations. And I just think it's such a fitting quote uh, for the way he really lived life. Great. Thanks very much, everybody. All right. See you next time.